Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Bull Realty Office Investment Sales Group. For acquisition and disposition of office properties, reach out to me. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. And how uh, appropriate, that's what we're going to talk about today is the office market. Look, you know, I think the office sector is one of the most questioned sectors in commercial real estate today. You know, a lot of people have uh, worked from home and, and they're doing hybrid work. Some offices, uh, companies are starting to get back into the space. Some people's opinion is that office is going to come back really strong and, and is starting to in some markets. Uh, and some folks are saying, why do, why do we need office? What do you mean? <laughs> Let's see what's going on in the office world and the office investment sales world, including how 2021 wrapped up. Please welcome my guest is Jim Costello, and he's with Real Capital Analytics and MSCI Company. Jim, good to see you, sir. Great seeing you, too. I wish I was seeing you there in person. I mean, this is the issue. When can everybody socialize, get together, be in offices, be at conferences together. That's what we need. Yeah, I agree. And it almost seems like the bigger the company, the the more negative they are, or cautious, I should say, about getting people together. You know, we sell office buildings here and, and we found that smaller tenants are all, they've been working, they're back, they're rocking and rolling. The big companies are want to be more cautious uh, about everything. But Jim, what are you seeing, especially there in New York? You know, that, that issue you bring up about big companies versus small companies, that fits sort of the notion of different risk uh, profiles. If I'm a bigger company, I've got you know, many more irons in the fire, many more things to worry about. I've got many more structures in place. And, and so I'm going to be slower to make decisions. A small company, uh, by definition, it's you know just a handful of folks, probably risk takers, and they're going to be doing things uh, uh, a little more rapidly. But it's about the perceptions of risk. And, and, and that's what is, is happening today. People are still hesitant in some cases to uh, you know, deal with the, the challenges that they might face on you know, a crowded subway train, uh, a crowded uh, a commuter train in Chicago or, or in D.C. And so you, know, you have you know, these kind of uh, real dense urban areas where there is some hesitancy to return at the moment, as opposed to some of the cities particularly down south, where it's more of a suburban focus, the transit networks are more auto-focused, and so people can kind of you know, get about without having to interact with as many folks. So there's, there's a little bit of a dichotomy there around that you know, individual uncertainty. Yeah. Uh, and then you got the bigger uncertainty around, you know, well, what is the economic use of office space? And you know, do firms need to bring people together, or can everything be virtual? And can everything just be uh, remote? And, and folks are, are struggling to figure out the right mix on that. And, and honestly, I don't think anybody truly knows at this point. I, I tend to believe that there are benefits from uh, people being together. Uh, the, the urban economics literature of the last 30 years has been focused on the fact that cities where people can interact with each other, uh, share ideas, you know, kind of talk over the water cooler or talk over drinks at the bar and, and just collaborate that you get growth 
uh, more uh, turning in more rapidly in those areas where ideas are shared. And so I tend to believe that some element of office work comes back, uh, but I just don't know. And it's just not clear to what degree it, it comes back. Right. And, and so the big urban areas, uh, you know, deal volume is still low because people don't want to price in, uh, you know, a, a situation where it might not come back. Right. Well, you had me at drinks at the bar, uh, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> You can stop right there. I'm ready to get back. Uh, well, yeah, that's a very good point about uh, uh, the transit and uh, the urban uh, markets. Uh, you know, to your point here in Atlanta, we're really well known as a driving city, right? Everybody's in their car by themselves out creating traffic, but that, that makes you feel very comfortable. If, if you said, hey, Michael, cram into a, a crowded subway, you know, in, in New York uh, and then being a crowded, you know, very dense environment, yeah, I might be more cautious too. It's 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 interesting to think about that uh, when you're in a uh, less dense environment. Yeah, and it's that relative uh, risk taking uh, for each. You know, the if if there's very little benefit for me to come into uh, the office, you know, if if my job is much more individually focused, much more uh, just uh, you know processing some information without uh, a lot of input from others, maybe I don't want to take that risk and come in. Uh, if my job is more focused on interacting with a lot of different people and sharing ideas and creating something in, in a team framework, maybe, and there's big benefits for me from being around those folks, maybe I want to take those risks and come in. And so then you got that difference in the job level, but then you also got the difference in terms of, uh, you know, the, the commute issues. So you get, you get a mix. And, yeah. and this is one of the big issues I think that people are getting wrong when they're talking about the office market today. They talk about everybody in the office market as if they are, as if there's one type of office worker. And there's one all kinds of office workers. There's different ages, there's different skill levels, there's different needs to get together. And so you have to really kind of segment all of that. It's uh, but fundamentally, I mean, I think one of the one of the things that the work from home phenomenon has shown and uh, the, the CEO of our new company wrote a piece about this. You know, the office, you shouldn't think about it like the 19th century wool mill anymore. You know, <laughs> it's not get the people in the office and get them at their machines and working and uh, you crack the whip. And if they're not in the office, you can't uh, you can't get them working. Yeah. A well-managed company doesn't need that. A well-managed company. You just hire the right people, incentivize them properly, and keep checking in on performance. You know, you don't need the office for that stuff. Yeah, uh, but uh, I think you need. You, you go ahead. You got to have a, a magic bullet though to get all of that done with everybody. I personally think it's it hurts people's careers to to try to work at home. I think psychologically, uh, it's it's hurting all of us as as well, and and not not having those two the dichotomy of having a home and, and having an office and having those kind of business friends. And I think, uh, you know, when you talk about big companies, just a very small uh, uh, productivity loss can can be big dollars. And I think uh, uh, it seems like, too, that the variants are getting less severe, right? And then that, do you predict that as we're moving forward? And, and is that what you're hearing or seeing? Or when you guys are there in New York in a dense environment, you go, oh, we don't care if it's if people are less, people getting less sick from getting these new variants, uh, is that going to make a difference moving forward? 
Yeah, you know, th this issue of the everybody being together and some economies of scale and higher productivity, uh, you know, I, I believe that happens. You know, the economics literature over the last 30 years has shown that. Uh, and, and so I think there's there's benefits, particularly, I think, for the younger workers, just the soft skills that uh, I mean, imagine yourself as, as a young broker, you probably picked up some soft skills from the senior folks you were working with at the time, just seeing how they dealt with clients. And it's hard to pick that up over a Zoom call. So, you know, that that is the kind of thing that, you know, you benefit from just being around other folks. Uh, but in terms of what happens with the virus moving forward, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't study uh, biology in, in college. Uh, yeah. So it's it's hard to say. You know, part of it is just you have to take it as it comes uh, and just be ready to uh, be flexible. And I've I've had a few trips planned that, you know, when it looked like things were going to be opening up and then I had to cancel them as things uh, pulled back in the other direction. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. It's just a matter of uh, uh, just being patient and, and seeing where everything recovers. Myself, I'm getting out about out and about. I'm starting to return to the office uh, with there a few days this week. Personally, I love going to the office, seeing everybody. But also, you know, working at home like this, uh, you know, my, my couch uh, put too much wear and tear on the couch in the last year. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'd rather do that with the office furniture. There you go. Well, you know, uh, our listeners and viewers are all over the country, and it's uh, interesting to see the different environments. So here in Atlanta, where we're headquartered, it's just wide open. I mean, the, the retail, the everything is just is rocking and rolling, and, and things are uh, moving along pretty, pretty strong. Um, well, let's talk about uh, kind of the, how the year wrapped up. It seems like uh, on sales volume and, and cap rates, uh, it was a really strong market. It seems to, you tell me you guys are tracking it every day. Uh, wh what did you see? Yeah, the office market had a strong rebound from the lows of 2020. Uh, volume for the full year was up 57% from where we were in 2020. And that's just, that's a great story. Uh uh, but we're not back at the highs that we saw uh, previously. You know, the, the 2015 to 2019 period, uh, we had a lot of activity in the office market, particularly focused on CBD locations. You had early in that period, the 2015, 2016 period, a lot of cross-border money coming in and buying up uh, office buildings in places like San Francisco and New York. Uh, that activity just hasn't returned as much. Uh, where the growth really was for the year was in suburban assets. Suburban deal volume was up 59% for the year. Uh, and, and the key thing is that uh, you know, if, if we think not about where the year was relative to the worst year uh, recently of 2020, if we think about just like the five-year average from 2015 to 2019, CBD office sales are still 27% lower than that previous pace as opposed to uh, suburban, suburban is 14% higher than that previous pace. So th that, that's just the scale of that turnaround. So the office sector, it's rebounding. It hasn't recovered yet in terms of getting back to the previous pace. The suburban office market, it's recovered. Uh, it's rebounded and it's recovered. And some of that is just, you know, all the issues we were talking about. Some of it is market selection in terms of 
the southern markets like Dallas and Atlanta, they're more suburban focused. So if I'm buying suburban offices, that's kind of where those markets go. And you know the 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 six major metros are the denser CBD locations, and investors are still cautious because they're not sure how that works moving forward, and so they don't want to price assets um, as if things come back to normal when they if if there's a chance that they don't. So buyers and sellers still have a bit of a mismatch there. Yeah, and Jim, as you look at kind of the five year average last year and and um, or twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, what do you see for cap rate trends in the office market? Where, where did they flow? Uh, cap rates are, are in total for the office market are trending down. Uh, but again, that's a suburban story. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the CBD office cap rates, it's not a big expansion, but it's notable because it is some sort of an expansion. Uh, CBD office cap rates you know, had, had kind of hit a low of around five and a half percent in 2019 and we have them up to 5.8 percent by year end 2021 not a huge move 30 basis points but it is a move and it's one of the rare uh property sectors that has any kind of uh cap rate expansion uh as opposed to suburban assets suburban assets we have them down at uh 6.3 percent by year end uh, versus around seven in the middle of 2020 that rather in the middle of 2019. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting uh, to look at that uh, the demand and and it kind of makes sense where a lot of people uh, were just more comfortable, right, in those types of environments and uh, and getting back to the office. Well, we all hear interest rates are going to rise, Jim. <laughs> Indeed, that, right. Um, so, what do you expect there, and what do you expect the impact to be uh, on the office sector? Yeah, we've seen a lot of chatter around interest rate rises, and you know the uh, it's going to have a couple different impacts. Um, forget about COVID for a minute. Think back to the happy days of 2019 before COVID, when the world was in a different place. Ah, uh, uh, memories. Yeah, <laughs> memories. <laughs> yeah, you know, in in the fall of 2019. Uh, the office market was becoming an unfavored asset class for a lot of investors because if you remember that period, the Fed was starting a, a taper program to unwind some of the excesses that they had in place following the global financial crisis. Uh, and, and so there was talk of the 10-year treasury rising. There was talk of the cost of borrowing potentially going up. And investors wanted to move away from CapEx, CapEx heavy investments. Uh, and so the industrial and apartment sectors started getting a lot more attention then. Um, and they got a tremendous amount of attention in the last two years, but you know, 2019, they were starting to get attention. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that all those forces probably come back. You know, we, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with the 10-year treasury. Everybody's talking about it going up. Uh, and if that does, the same kind of behavior is probably going to be seen because, uh, you have other CapEx issues to layer on top of the previous issues uh, that will uh, change the, you know, the investment opportunity in, in offices. Not only do you have the traditional CapEx issues to deal with, but you have new things you have to do to deal with uh, you know, different disease vectors, you know, whatever comes after COVID, you know, knock on wood there, uh, but you know, whatever comes after COVID, but then also 
there's a big move towards uh, net zero carbon footprints. And that's a big CapEx issue that a lot of buildings have to face. And, and so you know, retrofitting those assets is going to take a lot of CapEx in an environment of uh, a higher cost of capital. Uh, that might pose a challenge for some office investments. Yeah, I would think too, some buildings would be um, trying to get to net zero. It just won't work monetarily, right? They'll have to just convert those buildings to other uses. Well, even that is expensive. I mean, convert, uh, bring it to net zero and convert to other uses. You know, you're talking a lot of money. <laughs> you're talking about way. <laughs> a lot of CapEx in both cases. Yeah. To convert the building, where that makes sense is that the current owner sells it at a tremendous loss to to the next owner and they can get it at a cheap enough basis where they can put something into it. But if someone's willing to sell it at a, at a cheap enough basis, at that point, does it make sense to do the CapEx to make it be an office? <laughs> so it's, it's uh, uh, you know, some older buildings are going to be reaching a functionally obsolete basis. How many, how, how much, it's hard to say. But there's going to have to be a lot of investment to bring them into you know, the functional office market again. Uh, and maybe some of them, it just falls enough where it makes sense to convert it over to uh, some other use. It's probably going to be more expensive to convert an old office building over to apartment than an apartment to a net zero uh, framework, as opposed to just taking it to an office at a net zero framework in the sense that if I take an office building into an apartment building, there's a lot of plumbing that has to go into that as well. Just fitting out individual units, fitting out uh, showers and tubs and all the things that, uh, you know, homeowners want. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, but it's all, it's all a lot of capital at a time when you know, we have rates rising uh, that, that uh, makes people, uh, you know, have to sharpen their pencils quite a lot to make things work. Yeah. Well, Jim, if, uh, <clears throat> if I ask you to forecast <laughs> a year ahead here, um, and you look at what you think interest rates might do based on what the Fed's saying and, and what you what you believe might really happen. Um, you think it will impact uh, cap rates by the end of the year? Uh, we're talking about office today, so in the office sector. Yeah, you know the relationship between interest rates and cap rates. It's never a one to one. The you know think about the think about the CBD office cap rates. You know they've gone up a little bit over the last couple of years even though uh, interest rates fell. So, you know, there's, there's a widening gap there. And the gap between the two is really indicative of investor perceptions of risk. And there is some uncertainty in the CBD office market, so investors are starting to price some of that in. You know, if rates continue to go up, uh, then how investors think about the risks in those sectors is going to determine whether you know the cap rates go up with interest rates, or in some other cases they may actually go down. You know the the uh, we have examples. You go back to uh, 2007. You look at the office market then. You look at cap rates in Manhattan and in Central London. In both cases, cap rates were lower than the relevant 10-year benchmark bond yield. You know they were lower than gilts in London. You know they were lower than the 10-year Treasury here. Uh, because the investor perceptions of risk, everything was so heady, everybody expected so much growth, you know, all the equity office deals that were kind of flipping everything around, uh, people priced them at uh, lower risk than, than, than bonds. Uh, but also because they expected so much more income growth there moving forward. You know, the people were underwriting 
uh, taking $50 office rents up to $100 at the time. Uh, so th that growth expectation is in there as well. So in other sectors, there's so much of a growth expectation that a rise in interest rates, it might just translate into lower and lower in cap rates still if investors continue that growth expectation. And that's the apartment sector and the industrial sector. The office sector, you know, it, it, all that uncertainty is still in place. It's not sure, it's not clear that investors are, are going to underwrite strong income growth. One exception is that segment of the office market tied up in life sciences. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of investor interest there. And you know, in part because there's some certainty, you know, as opposed to a traditional office where there's some uncertainty around how the tenants are going to use the space, a life sciences building, and it's not as if you can uh, be like Walter White and do lab experiments out in the desert. You know, you need to uh, you need to be physically in the office and use all that equipment. Uh, so that's one where investors you know, may be much more active uh, trying to uh, because they see a little bit more certainty in terms of the fundamental use of the space. Yeah. So might we consider for a forecast for the year that um, that maybe we have a little bit more occupancy increase uh, in central business district office that we have a little bit of increase in interest rates. Uh, so maybe cap rates, you know, all they're going to vary every, every building and market's going to be different, but cap rates potentially could, could level out or maybe just rise a little bit. What would you venture to suggest? Yeah. It, you know, it, it's tricky. I used to be, very much in the forecasting business you know, before uh, in, in uh, my previous company, uh, working with uh, Ray Tordo and Bill Wheaton up in Boston. But it, uh, I wouldn't want to do that stuff today. It, it's, it's so difficult because we, yeah. there's so many known unknowns, meaning we know there's a big unknown around what happens next with the disease. Mm -hmm. Omicron seems to be pretty you know, mild, seems to be retreating. You know, maybe another big deadly one comes around the corner. We just don't know. So there's so much uncertainty. And really, that that's the key thing in my mind. Mm -hmm. If you get past COVID, you know, that's, and that's a big if. If you get past it, then you can start you know, settling things out and figure out where office use is going to settle, how people will interact with each other, and just get down to the mundane stuff of figuring out you know, how do you get coffee into the office every day. You know, that, I want to get to that world. But you know that's the unknown that we just don't uh, have a grip on yet, and and honestly, you know the, I don't think anybody does, and it's it's uh, uh, I don't think real estate people should opine on it as much because you know we didn't study biology in college. Come on, uh, I think that the main thing is just be flexible at the moment and just be ready to take advantage of things when the all clear signal is given, uh, but just. Sadly, it doesn't feel like we're there yet. We're close. We're really close. I'm starting to go to conferences again, but you know, I'm ready to shut that down if I need to, just in the public safety kind of realm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we're as as brokers and developers and investors, we obviously have to look ahead uh, when we're making decisions on to buy or sell or renovate or refinance, right? What we're doing with our uh, properties. So uh, it's kind of uh, something that we we have to look at, and and so. You've heard you you studied this market for a long time. You, you hear what the Fed's saying about uh, the rates and, and hikes. What would you think uh, that, that they might really do uh, through the through the year? 
Well, you know, that issue you brought up that you, when you're making an investment, you have to underwrite some, something on the future. What I would recommend that people do right now, think about it in a scenario context. If I do a deal and it only makes sense, if everything goes right with the virus and everybody getting back to work exactly as it was in the before days, um, I'd have to take a closer look at that deal to see if it's, if I really wanted to be involved in it because there still is uncertainty about what the future looks like and how long it takes to get there. So I think that the way I would look at things is I'd, I'd, I'd think about the future in a scenario context. If this drags out longer, if there's uh, a retrenchment to people pulling back even more from being at the office for a bit, how does the deal progress? And I look at a range of options and then make some decisions based on my comfort level on you know the, the elements of risk in that. So that's, that's the way I'd be thinking about that. And about, uh, that's the process I would use uh, to be thinking about the future. But you know, it, it is clear that you know, interest rates, you know, during the worst part of the pandemic, we were below 1% for some time. And that was a record low. And it was just a sign of an unhealthy economy. Uh, you know, it's not, yeah, it's great for borrowing at a time like that when rates for the treasury and every other instrument are so low. But, you know, that, that's just not, uh, you, know, you don't want it to be that low forever in the sense of you don't want the economy to be so weak forever. So, you know, if there's some rate rises, uh, it's, it might have uh, a little bit of pain in a few areas, but at least there's some economic growth that's going with it. There's job creation, there's personal income growth, and those are going to help ultimately sort of the fundamentals of buildings. Well, it's interesting to try to think about what, interest rates you should uh, underwrite, you know, for the future, since we're, we've really been so low to your point, you know, do we get back to kind of historic numbers, numbers uh, interest rates within a couple of years, potentially? You know, one thing I, I like to look at every quarter, the Wall Street Journal does a, a survey of around 50 economists. And you ask 50 economists something, you get about 100 answers. <laughs> and they, they the, the central forecast of all these economists is that you get up to uh, uh, something like 2.8% by for the 10-year treasury out by the end of 2024. Now, I don't know if that's right. I'm not saying that that is where it's going to be, yeah. but that's that's sort of the, the consensus view. And there's some dispersion around that because, you know, you just get a variety of answers. One standard deviation above that central tendency uh, gets you to 3.5% by the end of 2024. Uh, and and you know maybe it goes that high, but let's say let's say it does. Let's say that you know the 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 naysayers have it right and it gets up that high. In the scope of things, that's still low relative to uh, most of what we have dealt with in our careers. You know, you go back to 2015 or so, we were up in those kind of levels. And I remember then people were talking about, oh, it's so low, <laughs> and. And uh, it's it's a story of of a sector that you know had the wind of its back from the 1980s on as the uh, the interest rate environment fell. We're just dealing with a different world today than we've dealt with since the early 80s of clear upward pressure on the interest rate environment. How high it goes, that's the uncertainty. But it is clear we have the uh, a removal of the wind in our backs in terms of a lower rate environment. Yeah. I, th I think I was about 21 and I had a, a triplex I owned. And I think my interest rate was 17%. <laughs> I 
it was it was crazy yeah and, and just think about the value creation that happened from from uh rates coming down and just being able to get a cheaper loan and, and that 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 just helped uh, uh, so many folks uh, through through the last uh, you know, 20, 30 years. Yeah. Well, Jim, what would you leave our audience with to think about is uh, for the year ahead for the office world? You know, for the year ahead, uh, I, I think it still makes sense to be nimble. I'm, I'm optimistic. You know, try to get out if you can. You know, be safe. Uh, but it's it's you know, but don't bet everything on a total recovery. You know, think about things in a scenario context. You know, what happens if the best case happens? What happens if the worst? What happens if, you know, something in the middle happens? To be making decisions around that. I, I think that's the, the 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 prudent way to be thinking about the world today. Yep. And yep. you know, but but you know, do be do try to be optimistic and and do try to find opportunities to connect with folks where you can. Yeah, I agree. All right, Jim, thanks for joining us, sir. Appreciate your wisdom. Oh, thanks for joining. Uh, thanks for having me here. All right. Thank you. And thank you for joining us around the country. Hey, please let us know what you think. Uh, we appreciate as well you sharing the show. And and uh, a lot of times I'm out in the business world, commercial real estate world, and I get to meet some of you guys and, and ladies. And I really appreciate the opportunity to do that and uh, love meeting you and hear, hearing from you uh, by email and on social media. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Buxton. Take leasing site selection and due diligence to the next level. Make the right decisions with on-demand mobile data. Visit buxtonco.com. By Bull Realty. For proven commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions, contact me. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success. Expert level commercial real estate broker training. Cloud Access 1, up to 21 one-hour videos. Visit CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Thank you for reviewing, subscribing, and sharing America's commercial real estate show.